a question that has been asked again and again ever since Christianity started uh, in one way or another uh, is, are Christians good for society? Are Christians good for society? Some people say, is Christianity good for society or the world? Or, but you get the, the essence of the question. Are Christians good for the world? Are they good for society? And I would answer the question, they're supposed to be, um, but we're not always. Uh, and that does bring us to our study of the New Testament book of First Peter. So if you want to turn to First Peter, we've been studying this book, and you're welcome to join us this morning. If you're just joining us, glad you are. But it's trying to help us be good for society. <laughs> it's trying to help us do other things. But it's helping, us go, uh, it's, it's helping us navigate this complex time that we're living in. So Christians don't have this as our ultimate home. So unbelievers, and this is all you get as far as good. We come to know Christ by His grace, and now we're given eternal life. We're promised to live forever and ever in the new Jerusalem with God, no tears, glorified, no more struggles, no more suffering, no more conflict, no more injustices. We're promised all of these things if we trust in Christ. We long for that day, but this is not that. This is the, the, the difficult, sometimes dangerous, complicated, complex, what I call the in-between time. And First Peter's helping us. And it's also helping us and reminding us that we are to be good. We're not saved by our goodness. We don't gain eternal life by our goodness. We gain it by Christ. But having been saved, having been, having been reconciled to God, now that we belong to Christ, we're to be, uh, as believers in Christ, we're to be followers of Christ, and we are to be good um, to one another, but as well as to those who are not Christians. We actually should be a blessing and compliment to the world around us. But we're not always that. So it is complicated. In fact, why don't you look with me at chapter 2, verse 11, uh, just to give you a little reminder of what's going on in First Peter and what he's seeking to do. Chapter 1 has so much to do with all that is ours as Christians. But a behavior is called for in chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, people who don't fit in, people who don't belong here, this is not your ultimate home, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So don't just live in sin and don't just live however you want to live, according to your feelings or emotions or whatever. Verse 12, keep your conduct, behavior, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, among the unbelievers, he means here, among the godless, honorable or good, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds, see, good for society, good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Just put my finger, finger there for a second. He, we talked about this at length, but, but you see what he's doing there. You, you want to live a good life, and you actually want the unbelievers, even though they're against you, to see your good life, and, and maybe God might even use that to bring them to salvation so that they're with you praising God when Christ returns as opposed to experiencing condemnation. 
So we're trying to live, I'm going to call it goodly lives, for lots of different reasons, but one reason is to have an influence on unbelievers. And then finally, uh, for our purposes now, verse 13, be subject, submit to, for the Lord's sake, not, notice, not for their sake even ultimately, it's for the Lord's sake, that's perspective, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, and we'll, we'll stop there. So insofar as you can as a Christian, because Peter himself violates the law if he has to, if it causes him to sin or not do what God commands, but insofar as you can, be a great citizen of earth. And he starts dealing with with governing authorities and then he works into the workplace. We saw that last time. And now he's going to step into the family realm. So that's chapter 3. So this morning we're going to talk about wives and husbands. I don't know if we'll get done with the wives part. Uh, I want to make sure that husbands get their fair share of instruction. Um, I thought I was going to cover both, but probably, probably only one. But we'll make sure we give the men a preview um, because they'll need that. And then any men who don't come, don't come next week, we know you have a secret. <laughs> You're running from God. And we will, we know where you live. <laughs> okay. Years ago, if I were to preach this, I, I told Molly this. I mean, first and foremost, this morning I want to I be faithful to the text. I always want to be faithful to the text before everything else. I said, but it's kind of weird now doing this for 20-some years and knowing more and more people and you have a little bit of of chance um, or opportunity to be, I don't know, more relaxed. I said, it's so different because now I know real people better and and real wives better, real husbands better, real church members better, humans in general better my own life better. So, I hope I was an okay pastor 20 years ago if I would have preached this text, but I hope I'm a better one today. Uh, I know I certainly have prayed differently in preparation. All of this is where the rubber meets the road, whether it's governing authorities, whether it's our workplace, and now the family. Um, These are important matters for us. We're, We're living our lives before a watching, unbelieving world not to mention the believing world. If you're not married, uh, the Bible has special text directed to you in your life. And as a matter of fact, there's a unique kind of giftedness the Bible describes in the New Testament for those who are single, who have opportunities to do things that married people can't or don't do. So I realize this passage isn't for you directly if you're a single person, but in no way, shape, or form does the Bible Um, exclude you um, even though you're not addressed here. So I'm thankful for single people because they can do things married people can't do for the glory of God and for the good of the church. So please learn the passage, learn how to pray for the rest of us um, and, and find encouragement in that. Or for you who are looking to be married, um, this is good for you as well to think through in terms, what would that look like? Am I up for that? <laughs> Am I up for that with that person that I like? Could I see myself in that kind of role? These are good things to think about for you this morning as well.
It's not a marriage manual either, I should say. It's not a book on marriage. It's important, but lots more could be said. We're just going to focus on... I'm not even going to go to another passage. That's not true. Sorry. <laughs> Let's start with wives, beginning in 1 Peter chapter 3. Likewise... So that reaches back to Christ-likeness. He was just talking about Christ. Likewise, but also likewise, we're talking about an orderly society. We're talking about roles and distinctions, authority, order. So likewise, we're going to step into the family. Then he's going to say likewise husbands later. But now he says in verse 1, likewise wives be subject to your own Husbands. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Why would he need to say that? Why would he say that? Not a simple answer, but let's at least, in the context of 1 Peter, remember why he would want to say that. Why would he talk about role distinctions in the home with a wife and a husband? Well, there's lots of ways to answer it, but let's remember this in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, we've learned that whether you're a man or a woman or a child, if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, you are an heir of eternal life and all the blessings and riches that have been earned for you by Christ. We're equal, we're in this together, and as a matter of fact, if you were a Christian wife who just became a Christian, and your husband is not a Christian, you have something far more than he has. If you want to talk about um, ranking uh, or class or whatever you want to call it, it all sounds wrong, you, 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 you have something far greater. Your status is far greater than his. The same would be true if we were talking about husbands now. We're not. So there is that distinction. But let, let, let's just, just listen to some of the great blessings that are ours that make us equal. So we, we've learned in chapter 1, um, we've received great mercy, a man or a woman. He has caused us, men and women, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, men and women, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. It's all this great stuff that is ours. He goes on in chapter... Well, the same chapter... Ah, there's so many things I could say about it. I guess I will say it. Also chapter 1, the prophets is what they were longing to look for. You have so many blessings that are extraordinary if you're a Christian man or a woman. You have so much more than the Old Testament saints had. I was going to say you have so many privileges, but that's a word we can't use anymore today. You have so many privileges. There I did it. If you're in Christ... You have, you have all the greatest privilege in the world, not because you earned it, because it was grace to you. Things which angels long to look, you have so many more privileges than even angels have. You're so spiritually wealthy and 
honored. Chapter 2, verse 16, you're free if you're a Christian. Free from sin, free from its condemnation, free from um, having your identity be, be tied to anything here and now in the ultimate sense. You're free. With all those great things, he comes to the family and the here and now and says, there's to be order. Wives, submit to your husbands. Don't get it wrong and think, we're spiritual equals. Therefore, there's no order. And that's not very good for families. Oh no, my husband's not a Christian, but I am. I'm an heir and I'm free and I'm certainly free of him. That's not good for the here and now. Okay? Um, And remember, in the first century, Christians would have been... um, people who were looked at with suspicion. Is Christianity anti-government? They say they have one Lord. Well, we better clarify, we mean one capital L Lord. Um, uh, Are Christians good for the workplace? They say they're free and they're rich and they only have one Lord. Well, we have to clarify, we mean only one ultimate Lord. We're not anarchists. We're not trying to unsettle the world and society in order and now he's dealing with the family my spiritual equality with my wife or any other scenario right doesn't mean there aren't roles that maintain order instead of chaos I think that's why he's he's hitting up on this in the first place if you're a Christian you've won the spiritual lottery okay billions upon billions upon billions, the greatest lottery ever. You never have to work again, right? You are set. You are living the good life in Christ. But this is an already not yet reality, and you have to go to work tomorrow. Okay? You have responsibilities. In the home, you have responsibilities. Men have unique responsibilities. Women have unique responsibilities. That's what he's getting at. Some of you, wives, have unbelieving husbands. It's going to talk about that in our passage. It may have been, or sometimes people think, well, I became a Christian, and um, Christians are only supposed to be married to Christians and, uh, in light of Second Corinthians 6 and other passages, so therefore I'm going to leave. No, that's not the advice given to you. He's going to give you some help with how to live with an unbelieving spouse. Um, some of you are married to Christians, and it will still apply to you as well um, to maintain order and things like that in the home. The role distinctions aren't erased just because we're in Christ. Let's keep going in the verse. Verse 1 says, here's, here's some rationale as to why. Peter does this again and again. He tells you what's right, and then he tells you why. So that even if some do not obey the word, likely unbelievers here, it would also apply to disobedient Christian husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one, one to Christ, one over to salvation, without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. 
again, knee-jerk reaction. If you don't know much, you say, I became a Christian and my spouse is not a Christian. This is not going to work. I'm out of here. Well, both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter say, no, 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 hold on. If you weren't married yet, then that would be another story. Christian, marry a Christian. Now, if you're a wife and your husband is an unbeliever, he's not obeyed the word of the gospel, I think is what he means here. You don't want to be a bad wife. Christian wives shouldn't be bad wives because they're free, right? In Christ. No, they're, they're good wives. As a matter of fact, they want to be great wives and to have a living testimony of transforming grace in that relationship. I don't need to tell you that it's hard to be married to an unbeliever. I understand it in concept. Some of you understand it in real life, everyday realities. And some of you have an easier time of it than others. So I'm not the Holy Spirit and I can't sort it all out and figure out exactly how this applies to you. But I have prayed to God that the Holy Spirit would work in your life and encourage you with this passage that you would have a good influence, effect, impact on your unbelieving husband if you have one. Now, Peter is not suggesting that you should never tell them what the gospel is. He's already made it very clear that in chapter 1, that's how people get converted. So let's not take this in isolation. What does he mean? Well, a reasonable person knows what he means if we read the whole letter. By your life. May that lead to them being won over. He's not contradicting faith comes by hearing. I don't want to read too much into it, but you don't have to try to jam it down his throat all the time. Right? General demeanor. I can't imagine how hard this is. Especially in, for some of you in the really tough spots. I just want your life to show that you're perfect. No. You at least want your husband to know the gospel well enough to know that you think you're a sinner. But it's, it's, it's changing for good. Christians are good for society. Even the marriage society, if you will. That's what he's asking for. But think about the conflict. Think about how hard you, you have... A man and a woman who are unbelievers and one becomes a believer. And they're, they're married and one becomes a believer. The wife has new desires. 
it shows up in the ordinary stuff, just ordinary living. I want to live for the glory of God. I want to do everything for His honor and glory. He's given me all these great gifts in life, my, my family, my home, my society, all of these great things. And I can, I can whether I eat or drink, I'll do all to the glory of God to borrow from 1 Corinthians. So it shows up in the regular stuff, but there's also new desires. There's, there's a desire for Christian fellowship. Some non-Christian husbands are okay with that. Some aren't okay with that. But, but, but that's, that's, a, that's a mandate even. There's, there's a new desire there. There's a new desire to, to be a part of a, a healthy, feeding, helping local church where you're supposed to serve and there's that desire. And you see that there can be a lot of conflict. In a pagan world where husband and the wife have all these many, many gods that they serve together and now the wife, by definition, is not an idolater. She true, serves the one true living God. Now she's going to stop serving all the pagan gods. You can see where things could be really confusing. I mean, it's not exactly the same in our world, but false religion, wife gets converted and says, I can't do that anymore. I can't go there anymore. I hope in a submissive kind of way would be my counsel to a Christian wife. To the best of your ability, you're not trying to say anarchy on marriage in any kind of roles. But I have to. Peter's coming alongside of Christians saying, it's true you do. You do have to do a lot of things. But as you're doing these things because you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're trusting in Him, at the same time, do your very best with God's help to be a model wife. That God might use that. Yes, God is sovereign, but God uses means. May God use the means of your life in His life that maybe He'll become a Christian. This has happened in this room to some people. And for others, it's the longing desire that it would happen. Exactly how you do this? He doesn't say. And that drives some of us crazy. And I could pretend I'm going to give you seven ways, wives, to ensure. And now I'm just making stuff up. But I think that's why the Bible oftentimes tells us what's right and gives us some explanation. Peter does that so that then we'll know and so then that we will live our lives in our unique circumstances where we live, whether we live here or somewhere else, or at this time or a different time, and it also gives us room to pray because God works in different ways in different lives, but we know the principle. We know that we know the exhortation. One of the most famous Christians to come after the apostles uh, was named Augustine. Some people say Augustine. They're wrong. Um, whichever one, I don't care. Augustine um, describes his mother, uh, Monica, and how she prayed for and diligently sought the conversion of her husband. And he said this, 
She served her husband and did all she could to win him for you, talking to God, speaking to him of you by her conduct, by which you made her beautiful. Finally, when her husband was at the end of his earthly span, she gained him for you. That's what lots of wives long for. Some have experienced it. Some haven't. The encouragement for you as a Christian is by God's grace, don't give Christianity a bad name because now you're a Christian. Give Christianity a good name. Maybe your husband is angry at you for certain things you must do now that you're a Christian. But by God's grace, be the best wife you could possibly be with God's help. That's what he's calling for. We would want your husband to conclude that Christian wives make the best wives. He might not. That's what we would want and desire. Now, in principle, this would apply to people who are both Christians, right? Because I think what he's getting at first and foremost is they don't obey the word of the gospel. But in principle, there are Christian husbands who don't obey the word as in they're not doing what the Bible says. And my encouragement from First Peter in your life, Mrs. Christian wife, would be the same. Doesn't mean you can't talk to your husband and tell him what the Bible says. But make sure that that's being, you know, you don't need to be the preacher. I'll do it for you next week, I promise. <laughs> but really, what we want is your life to, to, to show and model and influence and make an impact for good that would lead to change in his life. Here's a question for you. Are there limitations to a Christian wife's submission? How do you think Peter would answer that as an apostle, one who speaks with the authority of Jesus, if we were doing a Q&A with Peter? Are there limitations to this? What do you think he would say? In good fisherman broken Greek, he would say, Yes! Absolutely! To conclude otherwise, he would say, what's wrong with you? Haven't you read the Bible? We could isolate this and build a whole kind of worldview, marriage view, and we would be like other cults. Of course, Peter himself is the one that says obey the government, and then he doesn't obey the government. That's why we we explain things like, insofar as you can. But when the government calls you to sin, you can't do it and you take your licks just like he learned to do. Well, when your husband calls you to sin, Christian wives, 
you say, no, I can't do that. I'm not a part of your cult. I'm not a part of any cult. I read the Bible. I read the whole Bible. My devotion, first and foremost, has to be to the capital L Lord. Now, I hope you maybe don't say it just the way I said it. (laughs) In as submissive a way as you possibly can would be my pastoral counsel. I love you. I care about you. I want to be a good wife. I want to be a great wife. can't do what you're asking me to do. And if you used to do it, you say, I can't do that anymore. I don't mind respecting our relationship and our roles, but I have a capital L Lord in my life. And I don't think He's going to make me a worse wife. He's going to make me a better wife. But it means I need to honor Him. He tells me to honor you but He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. If your husband wants you to do things that are sinful, you have to say no. If your husband wants to do things that hurt you, you say no. And there's a reason why, now we're getting into believers and unbelievers, a little bit of confusion. There's a reason why we have government. There's a reason why we have church government to deal with believing husbands at least on a certain level. And there's a reason why we have secular government to deal with sinful husbands if their sin is considered sin even by the governing authorities. Please, ladies, don't be a part of the cult that reads this out of context. And in the name of submission, you don't honor God. I would tell any wife, if your husband does something or wants you to do something that is hurtful to you, that would be illegal. And there's a reason why we've been given governing authorities. There's also church authorities. They have their unique kind of roles. You sense I'm pastoral and passionate about this because I know people. Let's at least be thinking clearly on this so that we can understand ourselves, so we can help other people, so that we can help the next generation of people. Christians should make great wives. Christians should make great husbands. It's complicated because we're living in the in-between time. This is not heaven. But we want to do good, Peter says. And he's trying to help us to do that. What doesn't our passage say? It doesn't say all women submit to all men. You might want to quit that cult also. It doesn't say that. It's talking about family. Now, Peter, the apostle of Jesus, who was married, by the way, because in order to have a mother-in-law, you have to be married. I went to public school, but I got this figured out. Matthew 8, 14 talks about Peter's mother-in-law. 
he gives us further instructions uh, if we're Christian wives. He says in verse 3, Do not let your adorning be external. I'm going to suggest to you in a moment that it would be good to qualify that. He's talking about merely external. I don't want to add words to the Bible, but context determines meaning. And if I were writing a paraphrase, not a translation, of the, of the idea, I'd say merely. And I'd put it in brackets or italics or something. Do not let your adorning be external, Christian wives. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. Now why would I suggest that he doesn't just mean uh, blanketly this means you shouldn't do any of these things? How do I know that I know that I know that that's true? This is not a strict prohibition. I mean, this is a family show, so I want to be careful how I say this. Because that would have women not wearing anything. Because he says, or the clothing you wear. Okay? He's not saying don't wear any clothes. Okay? He, he's getting at the, the focus, right? That he's going to move on to talk about the internal is the priority. Not the external. So for now, we see, that's why I would suggest it's the merely thing. I'm going to give you another reason why he means the merely thing uh, in a moment. But the idea is going to be there. It's focus on this internal that God sees, that pleases God and honors God. That's, that's the, the Christianly thing to do. It'll be best for other people. It'll be best for the world at large. It will make the biggest difference in the long run in your husband's life if that's what you focus in on. Don't merely do the externals. Now, God is not against beauty, okay? I keep saying this, but don't, don't you know, stop, stop belonging to that cult also. Okay? God is not most impressed with plain, okay? We know that he's not most impressed with plain because of the great creation that he's made and he describes it in beautiful ways. He talks about aesthetic beauty. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, and I realize it's figurative language, but in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, try reading that. (laughs) In Ezekiel, when God describes Israel, his bride, and he uses figurative language, he adorns her externally like nobody's business. So it's not that he's against that. I mean, it's super fascinating just to get it. Listen to Ezekiel. I'll just, I won't tell you what chapter because I don't want you to go there and be distracted. It's chapter 16, but don't go there. He says, I clothed you with embroidered cloth, not plain cloth, and shod you with fine leather, not pleather, fine leather, right? I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck, and I put a ring on your nose. God likes nose rings when it comes to Israel, right? I kid you not. Earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. You were adorned with gold and silver, fine linen, silk, embroidered cloth. For sure, God is not against beauty. You shouldn't be either. Go buy some jewelry. (laughs) But he's focusing on priority. Don't merely be about that. It won't make you a 
good influence when it comes to the ultimate. He says in verse 4, but let your adorning, here's focus priority, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. Priority. I want to have a good influence on my husband. What should I do? Well, the greatest thing you can do is prioritize the internal. doesn't mean you can't do any of the other things. But the greatest thing is to prioritize the internal. I do love what he says here regarding the gentle and quiet spirit. In fact, I, I really appreciated Sinclair Ferguson, who as a pastor I admire, when he said, gentle and quiet spirit? Peter's not describing ladylike characteristics. And that's kind of shocking to our ears. It sounds better when you hear him speak with his Scottish accent. He's not describing ladylike characteristics. That's how I think, though. Oh, a quiet and gentle spirit. That's something that's ladylike. He says it's not a, quiet, it's not a ladylike characteristic. He says it's a Christ-like characteristic. Why? How would he say that? A quiet and gentle spirit. Ferguson argues that just before this, he was describing Christ, who was silent before his accusers, who was not weak, but he was gentle with his opponents and enemies. He had all the power in the world, but he was quiet and he was gentle. By the way, gentle is a fruit of the Spirit that applies to both men and women. Ferguson saying, let your Christ-likeness be the internal virtue that in the long run is what's most impressive and leads to the influence in your husband's life. Another commentator said, the qualities of gentleness and quietness betray strengths, not weaknesses. That's really worth thinking about. Men and women. In a different context, true or false, men should have a quiet and gentle spirit. Yeah? That's not what he's saying here. He's, he's addressing wives. Those are strengths of Christ-likeness. Remember, we're dealing with husbands who are disobedient to the word. So he's being disobedient, so do you try to return like for like and just blast him? No, there's strength there with this gentleness and quietness of spirit. Are we going to get done with wives today? Yep, we can. Let's go to verses 5 and 6. For this is how the holy women who hoped... Oh, that's future. Hope is future. Confidence in God regarding the future because you don't think your present is all that. Okay? This is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. 
And remember in chapter 1, we're called to be holy. We're called to be different and distinct. So this is how uh, they did it in the past, by submitting to their own husbands. It's the hope in God for the future that helps them to, to deal with the here and now. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Notice lowercase l. Order. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. He's just calling on Old Testament precedent. We know Abraham and Sarah talked. Sometimes Abraham was the total loser in the decisions he made and what he said. Sarah wasn't perfect either. But she's used as an example, as a model. She understood order and roles. Okay, let's, let's end this way. What you've heard today, husbands, has not been addressed to you. And so my counsel to you, I'm not a marriage expert. My wife would agree. Been married 27 years. I know enough to know that I don't know a whole lot, but the Bible's true. Um, <laughs> I know my wife's birth date. I know our anniversary date. And I know that if it plugs into electricity, it doesn't qualify as a gift. <laughs> my mama taught me that. unless she asked for it specifically. My wife taught me that. (laughs) Some advice to you men would be uh, to remember this, this instruction is given by an apostle and it calls for wives to submit. It might be a really good idea if you uh, just let your wife hear that from the Bible. Just between us. You might not want to drop the S word. I think I have once in my 27 years. I still live to tell about it. I literally actually think I've said it one time. Carefully. Earnestly. It's really good to know that this is coming from God's Word to wives, not through the mediatorship of husbands. We, we want our wives to know what the Bible says. We want to pray for our wives. But they should probably hear it from the top down, not through a mediator. Okay? And I'm trying to be lighthearted about it to a degree, but I, I'm actually really serious as well. Far too many um, husbands have used this inappropriately with their wives. And it's like playing God, which is not a good idea. Next week, we're going to learn about husbands. And we're going to learn that husbands are called to live with their wives in a way that is understanding, um, literally, that knows their wives. The assignment of husbands from the Bible is to know their wife and to know that they're different 
and to live with them in a way that is informed that they're different. And that also lives in a way that respects the fact that she is a co-heir with you of eternal life. It's good stuff. It's really good stuff. It doesn't beat up on husbands. It encourages husbands. Okay? It doesn't scold husbands. It encourages husbands. I don't think 1 Peter 3, 1 and following scolds wives. It encourages wives. And so I think you'll be encouraged next week when you come and we see uh, this reality. Remember this as you go. Remember, um, men, are, men are weak and all women said amen, right? Men are weak. We know this because Genesis chapter 2 says that Adam needed a helper. Men are weak. Women are weak in a different sense. Okay? My son Owen asked me yesterday, he modeled for me uh, the fifth grade girls' push-ups. And he said, Dad, why do the girls do push-ups like this? I said, because they're physically weaker, generally speaking, and they're different. It doesn't mean they're worse or better. They're different. Okay? So women are weak in a physical sense, in a different sense. Sometimes some would argue in other senses as well. We'll talk about that. We need each other to complement one another as co-heirs. If you remember as you leave today that your spouse, if you're married, is a co-heir, co-equal, won't ever be less saved than you or more saved than you, it'll be really good for your marriage and it'll mean Christianity is better for our society. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for this instruction. Uh, Help the men and women who are here today um, to live lives that honor you, whether they're single or married uh, or young or old, that we would pray for one another, that we would seek to honor Christ with our life, uh, that we would not sinfully think that this is heaven on earth and everything should be perfect, but we would also not find ourselves being um, laxed and passive, but that we would be seeking to live lives that honor you because of Christ, because of the Holy Spirit, because of the Bible, because of the church, because of a watching, unbelieving world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.